Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Investor Podcast live, as always, here on YouTube. Uh, 5.30 p.m. Central Standard Time every Tuesday. Um, let's see here. I'm starting to get some feedback. There we go. Got that fixed. All right. Well, anyway, we are live today with Adam Williams with Retail Redeveloped. He is a, uh, a buddy of mine out of Charlotte, which is a very similar city to Nashville. Uh, he is, uh, he's been focused on restaurant and retail brokerage out there for a number of years. And he actually has a podcast called Retail Redeveloped as well. If you're interested in the retail restaurants uh, sector of real estate investing, highly recommend you go check that out. I was actually on the show not too long ago uh, during the pandemic, which was pretty exciting. That's how we ended up meeting. But uh, Adam, that was obviously a very brief introduction of yourself. But can you give us a little bit of uh, more background, help, help fill in the gaps? I will. I will. And I appreciate the, uh, appreciate the invite. I uh, love what you're doing up in Nashville and, and frankly, just love Nashville. I, I look at this interview as a, as a way for me to, to just glean information on you guys and on what you're doing. So I'm, I'm going to try to turn the interview around and ask you a bunch of questions <laughs> over the course of it. Uh, but, but you hit the nail on the head. Uh, Charlotte Guy owned a commercial real estate firm for call it 15 years. Uh, I specialize in kind of institutional retail and restaurant uh, assets. I do a tremendous amount of landlord brokerage. So if you were trying to do a mixed use center or redevelop a warehouse and you need somebody to help you make it interesting and cool, uh, that's kind of what I specialize in. I also do uh, a lot of, of restaurant work. I've done everything from owned, operated, um, you know, helped people do rollout programs, you name it. So I know enough to be dangerous about uh, retail and restaurant real estate. Awesome. Well, as you can tell, if you're watching uh, on YouTube, Adam has joined us from the beach. Very kind of you, man. Uh, definitely not jealous about that. <laughs> Look at that. Right on the beach. What, what beach are you at? I'm at Oak Island, which if you're not familiar with North Carolina beaches, it is uh, just south of Wilmington. Uh, it is, it's beautiful. It's like an old school beach. You know, it's not skyscrapers and, you know, go-kart go tracks. It's, it's pretty laid back. It's a, it's a beautiful little place. We come down here as much as we can. Yeah. Like a locals beach, local beach, man. It, it's, it's very laid back. Uh, so it, it, it's a fun place to be with the kids. I've got a six and a nine year old. So it's a great the beach is huge. Uh, it's pretty, it's, it's, it's just a good place. It's a good place to be. I mean, not a lot of restaurants, not a lot of stuff to do, but you get fresh fish and uh, you know, grill it up at night. And the kids can run around and not piss people off too much, so it's not bad. Yeah, yeah. Let them go wear themselves out. What? Uh, how far of a drive that's is that from Charlotte? Three and a half, roughly. Oh, that's not bad at all. It's not bad. Yeah, it's a little farther than Charleston. Charleston's actually the closest beach to Charlotte. People don't know that, but it's about three hours. This is three and a half, three forty-five, something like that. Yeah. That's, that's, I mean, that's a great drive. We uh, grew up going down to 30A. It's like second Nashville yeah. or little Nashville. I mean, that's where everybody, I guess, because it's just a straight Atlanta shot too, south. Yeah, yeah. Oh, really? That's all Atlanta and Nashville. Yeah, it's absolutely. It's a, it's a beautiful place. This is not like that. This is like <laughs> this way, is different. way smaller. Yeah. Way, way smaller than that. Uh, but, but that's a beautiful place. I've been down there before. It's, it's, it's awesome. Yeah, it's been interesting watching Destin develop since I was a little kid. So it's been, you know, different world, 20 plus years since we started going to Destin. And uh, yeah, I mean, back then it was tiny. Like there was there was nothing really going on. Like they had just gotten a water park and there, you know, it was, it was 
and now it's just a, it's a metropolis. So it's, it's wild to it's see. Incredible. Yeah. It's cool to and see like, Hey, just Destin now there's like a half a dozen cities, uh, all up and down. That, that Destin, Sandestin, really Rosemary, cool. watercolor. Oh, you name it. They're just popping and, up. And there's actually really interesting retail concepts down there too. What's the one that, that is so legendary down there? It's like the spot or the hub or something like yeah, that. Yeah, the hub. The, people, the hub, man, that place is very, very cool. Uh, I man, love that you brought like, that up. So, I so we, I mean, when, I, when I go there, that, that's kind of the, the blessing and the curse for, for traveling with me. Yeah. Go experience it with me. So, uh, I love seeing stuff like that. The hub is doing some really cool things. Uh, so if you, if you get down there, check it out. Yeah. So we actually, um, I haven't told you about this, but we modeled our, one of our latest projects, um, after that, um, we took that awesome. and, uh, stove house, which is in Huntsville. If you haven't seen that one, highly recommend you check it out. Stove one of the house, cooler. Man. Yeah. Stove house is one of the cooler projects I've seen. It was an adaptive reuse of a old stove manufacturing facility. And uh, what they had done was they took, they kind of did this almost outdoorish food hall. So like all the restaurants were like 500 to 600 square feet. You had this little like, I don't know, 10 by 10 area where you could walk into the restaurants and order. And then they would bring your food outside or you would pick up the counter. And then they had this, you know, tiny little shared food hall. It was probably four, but maybe it was 500 to 1,000 square feet. It was not big. Um, and then they had this massive lawn that all the restaurants kind of wrapped around. There was a bar out in the lawn too. And we looked at that and the hub, of course, down in 38, because the hub is very similar. And, you know, where you've got kind of these restaurants and some smaller retail concepts kind of wrapped around this central lawn, but it, it does become a hub. And we thought that that was really cool. Nashville doesn't have anything like that. So we, uh, we decided to do it, bring that here. Uh, now, what part of town are you doing it? Uh, that's in East Nashville. It's called the Provisionary. I'll send you the uh, I'll send you the deck on it because I, I just being a retail guy, I'm sure you'd be fascinated by it. We're we're gonna have um, eight to twelve micro restaurant concepts, so like 400 square feet, just walk up counters, and then they'll all share a food hall. Uh, but it's all again so they, centered so around. So you're doing the like the commissary kitchen, but they're all sharing the hood space. No, no, they're all individual kitchens. That way everybody can, you know, it's a, it's a true restaurant deal where we're going to, we'll, we'll provide the hood vent, grease trap, walk-in cooler, and uh, three compartment sinks. So like whatever they need to code. And then they'll provide their own restaurant equipment. But we do it a little bit differently because we won't necessarily sign a five-year lease on that, right? Like we'll sign a one-year lease, give somebody flexibility to kind of come test out a concept. And so we think it's a good way for us to, uh, kind of tap back into the the food revolution that we got out of food trucks. Remember how many funky concepts just popped out of nowhere overnight when still, food trucks became a thing? In Charlotte, that's still happening. Because you got to think Nashville is is a little bit ahead of Charlotte. Uh, from the, the I always say that Nashville and Charlotte are, are similar cities, but you know we got all the bankers and you got you guys got all the rock stars. So it's right. you guys have always been pushing the envelope a little bit. From a, from a retail and restaurant standpoint than, than we have historically. Um, so I, I think you guys, you know, we're still seeing those, the kind of food truck to brick and mortar maturation where I think you guys have already kind of run that course. 
what do you, if you don't mind me asking that what are you guys budgeting a foot for that restaurant build out have you guys have you guys gotten that far yet so I've, I've done a few of these and i'm always fascinated on how how other people want to write their their uh back of house yeah so i we haven't necessarily budgeted it specifically for this project i did a car wash conversion uh, i saw that where we're doing, very cool yeah, thank you. We're really excited about it. We've gotten great. That's actually kind of what's fueling all of these other ones. We're working on two other locations for that now. This provisionary location will kind of be another location for that. Um, all in, I, I think our costs on that car wash were $1.8 million for six bays. So $300,000 a bay, which, you know, I mean, that's not cheap, but that includes. That sounds right. Yeah, I mean, that's including the dirt. So you know, you look at $300,000 a door. Um, I mean, that's way more affordable than going out and finding something that's standalone 2000 square feet. I mean, hell you'd spend 1.8 million buying that just the building. And you, and you it's, uh, each pay 500 square feet. Uh, that one, the bays are 380 square feet. Yeah. Oh, very cool, man. I can't wait to see it. Next time I'm up in Nashville, I'm going to make you give me a tour. Yeah, absolutely. Come on out. We'll, uh, we'll give you the, the president's tour. <laughs> be a lot of fun. I, I'm really excited. I mean, we've got five incredible restaurants in there. Uh, they're all minority or women owned, which is super cool just because it gave an opportunity that traditionally is not given. Um, but they're all uh, incredibly cool concepts that, that East Nashville doesn't really have. So we've got a Peruvian concept. We've got a Cuban concept. We've got Hawaiian, which we do have one poke restaurant. Uh, there's a Mexican, ta uh, like a taco joint coming out of Austin. And then we've got pho, which like pho is just not, there's not a whole lot of that in town. So really excited for that. And then, of course, I'm, I'm going to open the bar uh, that's there. We're calling that Bay Six. So kind of venturing off into hospitality. You've got some experience in that, right? I do. I do. I've, I've been there uh, and trade a minute of it it's it's a it's a great learning experience and, and owning controlling the bar is smart it's kind of the the hub all the restaurants are kind of the spokes that come off of it you got to make sure it's done well you got to make sure it's done right and it's a great profit center so controlling the bar we, we, we see a lot of large even you know thirty thousand square foot food halls that that follow that same model that they, it's non-negotiable some of those guys even agree to in the back as you can control the soda right like if, wow. if you're going there and buying a sweet tea you're buying it from the bar if you're buying a coke product you're buying it from the bar uh so i'm not saying you guys should do that or shouldn't do it but i, I see that a lot because it's just the, the margins on it are incredible. yeah we we see it as a i mean one it's a it's going to be a great business venture right like it's a bar you know it's it, it surrounded by five restaurants so if you screw that up then you really don't know what you're doing yeah, um, yeah, yeah, you deserve to fail if you screw that yeah, up. Yeah, you, you totally deserve to fail. Um, but we do see it as a great way for us to carry on the brand, right? So we're, we're building this whole brand around the development. We, we want to go do multiple locations. So it was kind of a no-brainer for us to, to do that. So I'm excited. But, yeah, man, next time you're in Nashville, um, I'll, I'll get you out there. We'll show it to you. I, so, I would love to. I want to, get, I want to get the insider tour. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll make it happen. Um, I mean, hey, now that COVID restrictions are, are loosening up, maybe you could do that soon. But uh, how did you how did you get into re how did you get into real estate and why retail? Uh, it was an accident, uh, to be honest with you. When I when I graduated from from college, I went to Elon University, um, a 
involved in Burlington, North Carolina. And when I got out of school, all I, all I knew in the world was that I didn't want to live with my mom. Right. So it's like, okay, <laughs> I had a, I had a job. Pretty good motivation. Like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, why were you out so late last night? I hear, you hear that more than once. You're like, oh I gotta my go. Gosh. Uh, so I started selling pools right out of college. This would have been 2002 or 2003, something like that. It just in case you're wondering, that's not the best job I've ever had in my life. It was, it was, it was pretty tough. Uh, so I had a friend that was selling real estate, uh, residential real estate, got into that, was selling kind of track homes out in the suburbs. was pretty good at it. Cause just, cause I, I like people. I love people. I, I, I can talk to people. Uh, so it was pretty good at it, but realized very quickly it wasn't something that I wanted to make my lifelong career. Uh, n- nothing against residential real estate. We own a residential company. My wife is a total stud residential real estate uh, broker, owner in Charlotte, North Carolina. But I just I wanted to, to do something else. So got into commercial real estate, kind of stumbled into retail and restaurants uh, back in 2008, nine when the financial crisis hit. And uh, one thing that you'll know if, if anybody listening to this is into retail, uh, which is why I immediately perked up and started asking about back of house and construction budgets and things like that. Uh, back of house for retail is the most expensive thing you can build outside of like a medical office, right? It's, it's really, really expensive. And so once you build that back of house, it's very easy to come in and change the light fixtures and the paint color and the seats. Everybody think that's everybody thinks that's where the money is spent, but it's not. It's the back of house. So there were there, those were the only deals that I saw getting done back in the financial crisis. So I had a contact uh, in uh, the restaurant business. One of my business partners still to this day uh, had a contact in Atlanta uh, in the restaurant world, and we just kind of started doing those deals. And I uh, started a blog called Restaurant Traffic years and years and years ago. Kind of helped establish me as the restaurant guy in Charlotte and parlayed that into more of an institutional retail world, which is what I love to do now. Uh, and then you know, similar to the way that you're talking about doing ownership and development deals, you, you start doing that as every time you see an interesting opportunity. So it was, it, it certainly wasn't planned. I didn't, I'm not one of those guys that sat out and in my diary. I wrote that this is what I was going to do for the rest of my life. It, it just kind of organically happened. Let's let's talk more about the blog because I didn't realize that you had you had done that. And starting off with a blog was probably the best thing that we ever did as a real estate company, because when people I mean, people to this day, I mean, somebody showed me one of my articles on another East Nashville website today because we write articles on East Nashville and real estate over here and we write articles on commercial real estate. And somebody told me when I was I was talking at a mastermind with Austin Linney. Uh, a couple months ago, uh, and somebody raised their hand and said, I've seen you before. You were in a, a training video for property management in Denver, Colorado. Just like something like absolutely crazy because they had pulled my video off of YouTube. It's amazing, like the power of creating content. So what made you decide to, to one, start the blog? And like, what was that process like? Uh, honestly, it was, I started on a dare from somebody in the residential world so one thing that you'll outside of you and a, and a few people, commercial real estate is, is not nearly as marketing savvy and as marketing focused as residential is. Uh, somebody told me like you know everything that's going on in the restaurant world. You should start a blog. 
I barely knew what a blog was. I mean, we're going back before like Eater and Yelp and all those guys existed. This is back in you know 2009 or something like that. Uh, so I sat down with a glass of red wine during Monday Night Football nice. and did a WordPress entry. It was probably like, I like chicken wings, you know, or something horrible. <laughs> uh, and, but nobody else was doing that. Certainly nobody in commercial real estate in Charlotte, North Carolina was doing that. So once we got it up and running and SEO was dialed in, uh, you know, my restaurant traffic blog, which I've since shut down, uh, so don't no big go and try to Google it. It'll probably just send you to a dead link. I still own the link, but I don't do anything with it anymore. Um, I would rank higher than, you know, Joe Blow restaurant.com when they found because I would cover all the new restaurant books. Uh, it, it, was, it, it was an incredible tool. Uh, one thing that I tell any young brokers that are, that are trying to get into the business that reach out to me, it's like, find your niche, man. Like, it, like nobody, like, I don't like being a commodity. It's something that, that I don't really understand uh, how to be like, you know, 1% better than, than somebody else or you know, just being at the right time, right place. Um, you know, I, I very much believe that you need to be an expert on something. Now, that something could be, you know, industrial on one street in one town or in my world, it's you know, really, really being an expert in retail and restaurants in, in, in one city. And restaurants was a great kind of Trojan horse to establish a brand in the restaurant retail because let's face it, you know, it's outside of the mall world, the power center world, really set tone for, uh, for retail, especially right now with, with Amazon. I mean, if you're a commodity on, uh, in the retail world, you're, you're already done. And luckily, you know, Bezos hasn't figured out how to make food taste good on it on Amazon yet. So the restaurants still have a, a big place. So find your niche. Um, you know, mine was restaurants, but, but yours could be something totally different. Uh, now it ran its course once Yelp and Eater and all those things were here. I got sick of writing about who had the best, you know, chicken wings in, in Charlotte, North Carolina or the triad or something like that. Uh, but a friend of mine, Scott Dunstan started the podcast. I asked him about it. And, you know, I love that, that medium. So I switched to, Retail redevelopment uh, as a podcast, and it's and it's unbelievable because I get to talk to the smartest people in the in the retail game nationally and internationally every week. It's like I'm, it's like I've got a magic eight ball uh, for the industry because I just get to sit here and, and learn from brilliant people all the time. It's a lot of fun. Equitree is jumping in the live chat saying hello. Hey, Equitree, what's going on? If y'all, uh, anybody watching live has any questions about retail or restaurants or Charlotte or commercial real estate in general, feel free to jump in the live chat. Adam and I will be happy to answer those questions and have a conversation with y'all. So, so when did you make the move to go from the blog to the podcast? Yeah, it's a couple of years back. I should probably research this and know the exact date, but I mean, we're over a hundred episodes. I think we're probably like 110. 133. In. I looked it up. 133. Yeah. All right. So we're at 133 episodes. <laughs> That's why this guy has his own TV show, man. He's, he's, he's all over it. So we're 133 <laughs> episodes in. Uh, I'll tell you, I have somebody in my team uh, by the name of Kimberly Noble that really helped kind of grease the skids for me to make it from being, um, you know, a hobby to, to something that, that is valuable. Uh, it, it always really excites me to hear people reach out. Like, you know, somebody did it today. Like, Hey, you know, cause it's not like I'm 
printing money on, on the podcast. It's not why I do it. It's more of a kind of a thought leadership kind of kind of exercise than anything else. But uh, it's, it's really fun. I, I, people reach out to me all the time and, and tell me that, you know, it made a difference or you know, they were researching something or having a problem and, and, and listen to my with some brilliant person that happens to specialize in, in what they needed. And, uh, and it's a lot of fun. Um, but again, it, it is insane how much I learn on this podcast, like the, the level of speakers, uh, like kind of C-suite level speakers that, you know, it's so funny. I reach out to them and they're excited to be on the podcast because people, I mean, it's not like people, a lot of people, you know, when you look at like the Kardashian in the world, like tens of millions of people care about what they do, but you know, only probably 10,000 care about like retail analytics and how people are trying to figure out the halo effect in retail uh, and how people are trying to figure out what the, like the new metrics and analytics should be for retail brick and mortar moving forward. Like, there's not a million yeah. people to care about that. Uh, so when you find somebody that's an expert, you reach out to them, hey, George, I really want to hear what you have to say. They're like, shit, really? <laughs> like, I'd love to talk to you about this. <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, so it's, it's again, it, it makes me smarter every week. It's, it's incredible uh, the, the type of people that like to come on this thing. So. Yeah, I mean, the best reason to start a podcast is for your own selfish reasons, right? Because, I mean, the, the best, I mean, look at what we're doing right now, right? Like I wanted to talk about retail real estate. So I call the man, the myth, the legend himself, and he's going to jump on and we're going to talk about retail real estate for a while. It's, I mean, it's great. Even and from it, the beach. Tyler Even calls me. Beach. I'm like, yeah, I'm body surfing five minutes ago. I got a kid <laughs> with sand in his eyes, but I got to, I got to jump on the line. Got to jump right. on the call, man. That's oh, great. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's so much fun because who doesn't want to do it, right? Like it's, it, we're all nerds. I mean, so the, the reason that I, w I started this, I was having all these kinds of conversations with people anyway. And I started thinking, you know, man, if only there was a way for me to just record this stuff so that other people could listen to it because I get asked questions all the time. Like, Hey, what's your opinion on retail real estate? Well, now I'm going to have a whole, a whole show that I'll send them, you know, on you and me talking about retail real estate, why we think it's good, why we think it's not good, you know, where the pros and cons and whatever else we need to, to, cover and it'll go for an hour and it's entertaining right like well so the people that are going to listen that, how can how can i add value to to your listeners like what what do you think i mean I, i'm here i'm happy to try to you know again i'm not saying that i'm an expert but you know i, I know enough to be dangerous help, help me understand how i can add value to your people yeah, well, let's let's just get dangerous. Let's talk about retail and the state of retail, and um, you know what uh, what's going on post COVID, uh, what's going on in the southeast because we're seeing a, a major shift uh, in the southeast right now. Equitree is asking a very uh, timely question: How did retail do during COVID? So let's just go ahead and dive on in. So, I mean, shite, <laughs> terrible. Yeah, I so mean, what's it look oh, like? You really need humans. To, to do retail. Um, so uh, I'll answer, I'll answer Equitree's question first. Uh, yeah, the, the interesting thing that everybody kind of came to the same conclusion, COVID was a massive accelerator. And from all accounts, COVID was like a three to five year accelerant for uh, 
uh, retail in general. So you had the people, you had the net winners, right? Like the home, home goods, grocery, uh, you know, people that were already set up for to go an app, uh, like to go ordering apps, things like that. Those guys tended to tended to trend up. And then, you know, your soft goods retailers, like every clothing group that wasn't selling like leisure wear got scalped, right? They just got crushed. Um, so that was pretty horrifying. But then I think the bounce back has been uh, has been faster, better uh, than, than people anticipated. So I, I think that that has been really, really exciting. Um, I think that uh, the other thing that we've seen, again, I'm very lucky. Tyler's very lucky. He's in Nashville. I'm in Charlotte. Uh, you take Austin out of the equation, and I mean, it, it's really hard to undersell how lucky we are from a geography standpoint. I mean, the Southeast is just red hot from a corporate relocation standpoint and just from being on a very, very different uh, list than it was know, even a half a decade ago. So I think that COVID was, was really horrifying. Uh, but I think the, the bounce back has been really interesting. I would say that from a national restaurant group standpoint, hot as a firecracker, probably hotter than pre COVID, at least in Charlotte, because again, it, it, you gotta, you gotta have some real guts to go and open a store in, you know, Boston, Manhattan, San Francisco, those kind of top tier cities that were just absolutely shut down for a long, long time. And that, that's a scary proposition. So the Nashvilles, the Austins, the Charlottes, the Raleigh's, the world um, have, have been a net winner because of that. Um, I think that um, another thing that, it, that has been really interesting is just how, how the markets have changed. Um, again, that COVID being an accelerant, it, it's, just, it's just been amazing to see you know, how quickly things have changed so in, in such a short period of time. Like you have like the Chipotle's of the world that within 60 to 90 days, somebody will, somebody will check me on this date. I mean, their online ordering process was completely different than it was the day that COVID started. Completely different. I mean, you have these, these companies that saw the problem, adapted the problem, and I don't want to say overcame, but, but did the best they could. And then you had other groups that just, you know, like uh, Pret, you know, just, just, to, just to name one. You can name dozens of places that, that just didn't that just didn't fare well, that just could not react. Maybe, it's, maybe it was a, uh, you know, a, a result of already having a, a troubled balance sheet and they just couldn't dedicate the funds like Chipotle could to, to adapt. But it's amazing to, to watch the net winners and losers. Yeah, there's there's so much to unpack there. I mean, one will definitely cover you know the southeast and the flight to that. Uh, would love to see the the you know talk more about the groups that pivoted, the others that didn't, and who who survived, who didn't. Equitry is keeping these questions coming. I'm loving this. Uh, did the subsidies help enough? Like PPP loan, idle. I mean, did that? Did you see that make any difference? Hundred percent. But but here's the thing. So I'm a Yes. Let me start the start Equitree's question and say, yes, it was a godsend. It's probably the only thing that kept a lot of these places afloat. That said, you know, at this point, like, to, like today, like we're you know, July one ish, 
I'm at the beach, so I don't know exactly what day it is. But uh, <laughs> at this point now, you've gone through the subsidies, you've gone through PPP round one, two, uh, and and all of the all of the things that have kept these restaurants and, and the hospitality industry as a whole, which people don't realize what a massive employer by percentage in the hospitality world is. But now it's a victim of that same kind of government subsidies because uh, the unemployment uh, subsidies are still in place and now people can't get staff. So uh, Tyler, I'm sure you're hearing that from your retail people, but the absolute oh, yeah. lack of ability to get staff right now in the hospitality world is, is, is crippling. And it, it, people are just back. it's kind of gone the other way uh, and not to say that you're ever going to time it perfectly or, or get the perfect amount uh, but right now it's very interesting to see people struggle with with uh, staff yeah we had a uh, a buddy of mine that owns a hotel had to block off 50 rooms last weekend because he didn't have the cleaning staff to come in and handle it um, it's it's remarkable to see the struggles in the labor industry right now and it'll be even inter more interesting to see what's going to happen once uh, i think it's what the end of july uh, all the paychecks kind of stop coming so you know i guess there there may be a reckoning then or not you know maybe people get back to work who knows but uh it's yeah i mean hospitality the service industry it's it's all the same it's tough to get anybody to go to work which you know, it, it, in my opinion, it's so like the the CDC just announced that they're going to extend the more the eviction moratorium for another thirty days, which I don't know that that necessarily makes any sense at this point for the entire country, right? I mean, you look at Nashville; we've been open and fine for seven months plus, probably. So, you know, you've got a bunch of landlords here who are having to deal with all of that, all of that stuff, and it's not helping. You know, there, there are people that are gaming the system and not paying anything. So that's yeah. I don't I don't want to get too political uh, yeah. on on the, on the podcast, either. but it's at some point it's time to it's time like we got we got to get back to work and yeah. uh, you know unfortunately yeah, the the people that that are kind of the backbone of the hospitality industry are making as much or more money sitting at home right now than they than they, they could be at work so. I mean, if I were them, why would you go back to work? Why would I go back to work? So, uh, but again, this is, I, I think the problem is, is obvious enough now that, that even politicians can figure it out. So let's keep our fingers crossed. Yeah, they can see what's going on. Let's talk about the fight to the Southeast. So Oracle, uh, Tesla, both announced locations in Austin. Oracle announced an 8,500 job campus in Nashville. You've got, what is it? Is it Credit Karma that's doing 600 jobs in Charlotte? I mean, Charlotte's probably had a number of other jobs announcements aside from that. What what are you seeing in terms of the flock to the Southeast? It's it's an everyday topic of discussion. I mean, it, it's legitimately unbelievable how even these top flight companies are, are trying to get into the Southeast. And it's not just Charlotte. You mentioned Austin, uh, obviously not in the Southeast, but you mentioned Nashville, Raleigh. Uh, I mean, I, I totally get it, though. I mean, the, the cost of living for at least the time being 
is, is still impossible to match in the Northeast. Uh, and you've got the combination of the weather, the young people want to live here. Uh, and, and so it's hard to see, unless from a government standpoint, we get in our own way and we just absolutely screw ourselves. It's hard to see that trend reversing. Uh, and when I, when I say that, I, mean, I think back to you know, North Carolina with, the, with this HB2 bathroom movement where we basically shot ourselves in the foot for you know, 48 months or 24 months uh, and just lost billions of dollars in, in tax base because we decided to make a fight about uh, bathrooms. Uh, if, if, <laughs> if Charlotte specifically, Raleigh to a very similar degree, and Nashville can just stay pro-business and not let uh, politicians get in the way. I mean, it, it's the sky's the limit. I mean, it's, our cities are going to are going to become massive. Obviously, you have infrastructure issues too. I mean, again, that comes back to kind of smart planning. Uh, but it, I really think the sky's the limit for, for for both of our home cities, and it's it's exciting. I mean, I, I I say this all the time to kind of the younger group, younger guys and gals in our in our group, is that we could be doing this and somewhere in the Rust Belt that, that is not as uh, kind of a fortuitous location as, as we're both blessed to, to practice in. So I, I try not to get too cocky when we, when we, uh, when we do, do deals down here because it's a lot easier to do them here than a lot of other places. I'm the, I'm the same way, man. I, I, like, I just got lucky that I'm in Nashville. Right. Like it's it's not like I sat down and really analyzed all these. I mean, I'm from here, so I just happened to stay here and keep doing real estate here. And uh, yeah, it's, it's not like it was some intelligent decision that I made. And, and it really is kind of the look of the draw. Um, you know, there's I mean, look at look at uh, I'm sure you've had quite an impact on this, but Charlotte, Charlotte's restaurant industry. Right. I mean, Nashville's restaurant scene when when I was growing up was nothing to write home about. I mean, nobody thought twice about it. Now we've got James Beard Award winning chefs opening concepts here left and right. And Charlotte's known for its food scene, too. Um, So, you know, I mean, that had to be pretty fortuitous. Right. I mean, uh, there's some decisions that you can make and some that you can't. But I mean, that's. You take advantage uh, of what you can. Right. super, Super lucky. Same here. I was born here. Too lazy to move. Yeah, um, yep. I, I would say that again, like I said earlier, we're, we're still behind you guys a little bit, uh, and we're and we're always we're a much bigger city than Charleston. Uh, but Charleston team is is our big brother, and, and still is really. I mean, Charleston is incredible. Nashville is just you guys are now like East Coast Vegas for tourism, which is which is crazy. <laughs> uh, but not necessarily the best. Really, really. <laughs> Hey, but I mean, except I mean, I've got friends that are open to restaurants, uh, you know, downtown and in, in the tourist areas. And, and I'm, I'm sure if you're a local, you know, I was in Austin the other day, they're promoting kind of the, the you know, culture eradication. It's not my word. Um, actually, I just did a podcast on that this week where, you know, you, you're a victim of your own success, right? We have these kind of landmark restaurants that have, that have been around for a million years, but they're right in the middle of the sexiest neighborhood in three states and you know that that real estate wants to be a tower right yeah. and, and unfortunately eat sell or fried chicken or burgers out of a, a piece of property that, that is worth that much which has the 
kind of uniform zoning that, that makes it infinitely more valuable than, than any single restaurant. Um, so like you guys are kind of struggling with just the infinite amount of, of tourism that's, that's dumping in your front door, your Charlotte's struggling with you know, these old brick and bean neighborhoods that are now just unbelievably valuable. I mean, you have, you have properties that are selling for you know, 20 million bucks for not a lot of property. Uh, and it's hard to, you gotta sell a lot of burgers to, to justify that price. That's, that's quite a few burgers. Yeah. I, look, I'm, I'm one of the few natives that loves what has happened in Nashville. I mean, to me, it's, it's been an absolute renaissance. You know, when, when I was growing up, the, the town shut down at 10 o'clock at night, right? There's like, there's nothing to do unless you wanted to go get into trouble. And now there's almost, you know, it's an 18 hour city. There's always something going on. There's always music shows to go to. There's bars to go to. There's restaurants, there's cool events. And that makes it such a fun city to live in. Uh, you know, I moved to East Nashville, which is a very different part of town from where I grew up. And that alone made me feel like, you know, what I, the, the phrase that I say is I, I didn't move away, but I got a new city because I got to go to a completely different side of town. I have a completely different Nashville experience than what I had growing up. And Nashville has been fortunate enough to maintain that, that cultural feel, uh, I guess, because people come here and they kind of they want to assimilate into that which is one of the biggest draws to Nashville is, you know, people hold the door for each other and they're cool. But um, yeah, I mean, and Hey, who doesn't love Southern food and hospitality, right? I mean, Hey, that's what we're talking about here. Absolutely. Well, and Nashville is just fun. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't know if I could live on Broadway, uh, but hell, it's a, it's a lot of fun. And, and you can still get into trouble in Nashville after 10 o'clock. I've, I've definitely, you could definitely get into trouble after 10 o'clock. But, I mean, yeah. you guys have – it's not just the restaurant scene. It's not just – now I'm a huge live music nerd. So, uh, you guys have the rhyme, and, and that, you can really just kind of stop there. Uh, but in, in addition to that, I mean, just the hotels that you guys are doing are incredible. I mean, it's, it's, really, it's really fun to watch how that scene has evolved. And you guys are close enough where we can, where we can kind of cheat off your paper a little bit. Uh, and, and try to try to stay on the cutting edge. So, yeah, I, I hope you guys, again, continue to grow, continue to reinvest in infrastructure, and keep the politicians in check so you don't so you don't screw it up. It's the biggest thing, right? I mean, that, that tourism is is a, a much bigger driver of our economy than than a lot of people would like to admit. Um, and, and I'm a fan of it. You know, it accounts for over fifty percent of our sales tax in Davidson County. Tourism. Because everybody's hanging out down on Broadway, spending money in the bars. So, you know, we, we need that it, money to keep funding infrastructural improvements. And our versions of that are really Asheville and Charleston, which yeah. even if you combine them both, it's probably still not the tourist numbers uh, of Asheville. But, but you get a taste of that. I mean, people go to Charleston and have a good time. They go to eat incredible food. They go into, into that kind of historic beach culture. Uh, and Asheville, same thing, except in the mountains. Like, it's killer music. You guys have the Ryman. They have the Orange Peel. They have Thomas Wolfe. Uh, you know, unbelievable. Like, Punch is way above its weight class as far as uh, live music goes, as far as food goes, as far as breweries go. Uh, so so we, get, we get a piece of that. But you guys have the Charlotte-sized city that has Charleston and 
Asheville tourism all melted into one. So that's just hard. It's hard to recreate in a size in a city the size of you guys. So uh, again, I, I feel like I'm, I'm crushing on Nashville real quick. Uh, we're probably supposed to talk about Charlotte, but uh, it's, it's a cool <laughs> city. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's such a perfect storm. I mean, it just it never no one no one could have possibly seen this I, I don't think I mean it's it's been really crazy to watch just because it used to be I mean in, in many ways it still feels this way but it used to be such a small little town such a small town Philip I is all uh, time, but I, I can't believe that when I was oh uh, we got yeah we got another question Philip's jumping in will retail investors be looking more towards converting to mixed use what are your thoughts on that I think that you know in in certain neighborhoods, again, if we're talking about you know, the, the sexiest areas, the sexiest areas of Charlotte, it's really you really don't have a choice, right? So let, let's say that you come to South End in Charlotte, and you're a multifamily guy, and that's all you do, right? That's all you understand. The city's going to be like, sweet, you still have to put ten thousand square feet of, of retail on the ground floor because we don't want you know, your parking deck to be facing one of our major thoroughfares and a project that's going to be here for a lifetime or, or you know, a good chunk of a lifetime. So I don't think you have a choice. I think for interesting question is, you know, the, like what is it going to take? Is it going to be from top down from the city or just like a, like a necessity from the developer to get really good at mixed use. Like, I don't think it's a question of if you're going to have to do it. It's like, who is going to, you know, the groups that step embrace it and understand it and, and are willing to dive in. Cause it's really hard. Oh my God. Just the, the condo docs of these things is, you know, hundred thousand dollar investment, uh, much less the actual building. So I, I don't think it's a question of if you're going to have to do it, it's a question of like, who's going to get really good at it and, and keep kind of right. Yeah, I mean that's you're right. So we've we had that conversation with uh, the guys over at Rand, uh, Rand Partners. I don't know if you're familiar with them. They're multifamily guys, uh, but they were asking me about retail and my thoughts on it. And you know, multifamily guys take the approach of no retail ever. It's the worst thing you know we could possibly have in our development. And I think that that is such a, a negative way of looking at it. I mean, I, I try to reframe that for them and say, well, look, it's an amenity that pays you. So start looking at it that way. It's an amenity that pays you to be there. So when you start framing it in that sense, you're like, okay, well, yeah, let's go find a coffee shop or let's go find a, a little neighborhood sports bar or let's go, you know, what could serve the tenants in, in a better way that would make your apartment complex that much more desirable? Because at the end of the day, that's what retail really is for neighborhoods. Right. Like retail is the amenity for a neighborhood. That's one of the reasons that one of the many reasons that people would want to live there. Yeah. And people there, there's so much pushback. I've, I've sat in so many meetings like the like the one that you just mentioned over the course of my career. Uh, it, it's unbelievable. Uh, people don't understand that it is an amenity. Now, again, it's the tail wagging the dog. Right. You've got a 200,000 square foot project and 8,000 square foot of, of it is retail and you have to work you know, almost as hard on that 8,000 square feet as you do on the other 200. So I get that it's hard. I get that it's expensive. I get the payback is not what it is on your multifamily units. Uh, but again, nobody says, 
like, hey, meet me at the beige building on the corner. They want to say, like, hey, meet me above, you know, uh, Undercurrent Coffee or meet me above, you know, Joe Blow Awesome Sports Bar that we all love and we make memories at. So, uh, unfortunately, it is what it is. It's only going to get more complex and it's only going to get more expected to, to have retail. And the, the mistake that these people make and the, and the reason that they hate it and they don't want to do it is because they don't plan for it correctly. I, I can't tell you the number of meetings that I've had where I sit down with a developer and they show me a site plan and I see a crane in the ground. And they're like, hey, I need you to lease this 10,000 square feet. And it's impossible at that point. Or it's not impossible, but it's, but it's yeah, I've got one arm tied, tied behind my back because you know, the, the venting isn't in place. There's not nearly enough power. There's not nearly enough water. There's there's no infrastructure. There's no MEP. There's no ability to get trash in and out. There's nowhere to take deliveries. I mean, I, I could write a freaking book on all the things that that multifamily multifamily people specifically do wrong because they look at all these things top down. And uh, I get it. It's a tail wagging the dog. But if, if you bring somebody in on the front end that understands the process, understands that the pressure points, you can you can make it a lot easier on yourself. And, and again, I mean, in, in Southend, we're getting rents that are that are pretty pretty incredible. Uh, it's not just Southend; it's all Charlotte in the urban Charlotte, and urban core. But um, I mean, people people overlook uh, an additional revenue source and and uh, the best way that you can ever monetize your project. Yeah, I mean, I've got I've got a good uh, story on that actually. So there is a. Uh, because it, it can make or break a project, in my opinion. And I'm not going to say that retail is going to break an apartment complex, right? Like, you're, you're not going to be unsuccessful because your retail is unsuccessful. You may never achieve the top-of-the-market rents, or you may never achieve top-of-market occupancy rates because you missed on the retail. So there was this, uh, this apartment complex downtown. It was actually right next to my old office building before I started my own firm. They put a restaurant on the street corner because the city required them to. And the parking for this restaurant was on the second floor of the parking deck. And the stairs to access the restaurant were all the way at the far end of the property. So if you wanted to go to this restaurant, you had to park upstairs and then walk like I'm not probably I'm not even kidding, probably a quarter mile to just go down to the stairs and come back to the restaurant. And you just think about how unbelievably inconvenient that is. I mean, Nashvillians and Southerners in general are so lazy that if there's not a parking spot immediately in front of the restaurant, they're going to go down the street to the next one. It's just kind of how they operate. So um, that, to me, makes a big difference. Now, we're building an apartment complex. It'll have, you know, I don't know, somewhere between 200 and 220 units. That is a, a big enough size to where you really have a solid amenity package. But what we're going to do instead is we're going to absolutely blow out the pool. We'll have the coolest pool in Nashville. But this is part of a campus project where we're building 24,000 square feet of commercial space. This is what I, tell, I was telling you about earlier. So their courtyard will have 8 to 12 micro restaurants. We'll have a live music thing. We'll have an event venue. I mean, it'll be like, why would anybody want to go live anywhere else when you can have this whole campus here like this? Uh, which is so exciting. So, um, you know, they we we talked to the multifamily managers, and they think we're going to get record rents for this neighborhood because of those 
amenities that we have on site. Yeah, you're building an ecosystem. And yeah, yeah it's not, it, it is rocket science, right? It's not easy. Everybody would do it. But having an understanding of what the market wants and what people want to surround themselves in. Because, I mean, is a, is a 50 year old going to want to live there? Probably not. That's not your market. You, know, you want, is a 27 year old going to want to live there? Hell yeah. Uh, and, and I think that, I think that it's, it's easy for, for multifamily developers and doing it for a while to forget that they're not their customer and, uh, you know, they just want a quiet place to lay their head. Whereas, you know, when, when I was 27, I wanted to howl at the moon and, you know, be where, be where all the cool people were. Uh, and, you know, I, I think, I think kudos for you for understanding that and building, building a really cool ecosystem. Yeah, it's it's exciting, but that, that's man, it's retail is so 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 important. It it always. Uh, I was having this conversation earlier with somebody today about the the people that say retail is dying don't understand anything about retail. It's it's just you gotta like get the, it right, Tyler. It's a retail apocalypse. <laughs> the retail no, apocalypse. Will people ever shop again? Uh, a podcast <laughs> without without talking about the retail apocalypse. The so retail apocalypse. Get, you gotta get the term right. That's amazing. Yeah, that's way, way better. It's the retail apocalypse. Yeah, I mean, look, the retail is dying the same way that, like, I don't know, mail being delivered by horse died. Like, it's just changing in this, and it's, it's becoming better. I mean, you've got some big box retailers that are struggling. Honestly, they should. But neighborhood retail? It goes back to that accelerant, man. It goes yeah. back. Those, those guys were struggling. Again, if you're selling a commodity – you're screwed, right? Like if, if, if I can get it better, faster and cheaper on Amazon, like I get it. I want to support a local retailer, but old Navy, old Navy does great, but a big box store that sells commodities that I can go on Amazon it is, is, it's not sustainable. But what I think people overlook is uh, the experience and experiential retail is as big of a cliche and a hot button in my world as retail apocalypse, but it really is, it's, it's massively, massively important. Uh, Cause I, I think you're going to start to see like neighborhood retail is massive, food and beverage massive. But I, I think that, that people are going to continue to need to use brick and mortar retail as their billboard, as their indoctrination into the brand, as their just you know, absolute showcase for, for what their brand is all about. Uh, I was doing a, a podcast earlier this week with, with a group called uh, Howler Brothers, which is, shout out to Howler Brothers, it's a Howler Brothers shirt, make really cool shit, um, nice. at, out of Austin, another city that we keep talking about. And you know, when you when you go into one of their stores, it's not just the stuff on the rack, right? It's the, it's the, it's the entire ecosystem of, of, of the store kind of fits the brand. Uh, which you know, goes back to like Yeti, right? Like when you go in, the reason people pay, you know, 20% more for a Yeti product when or you know, Joe Blow knockoff uh, does the same thing is because it's because that lifestyle that, that Yeti represents and, and, and that ecosystem that they want you to be a part of. It's the same reason that Restoration Hardware is, is building these mansion stores all over the place. They, they want to assimilate you into their into their brand and into their lifestyle, uh, into their tribe. 
you know, they, they, they want you to understand what their brand represents. Uh, and some of it's aspirational. Some of it is just that they make really cool things you can't find other places. So uh, I, it's very hard for me to take people seriously that, that just blanket say, you know, retail is dead because I don't think it's, I don't think it's accurate. I do think that it's changing. I think that people that are very long in department store, big box retail, I mean, I, I would, that, that's a, that's a more nuanced conversation. We can do another hour on at a, at a different time because it, it's, it is to your point changing so fast uh, that it, it's hard to understand exactly the chips are going to fall. Yeah, I love that you brought up Yeti because I was thinking that I mean literally the exact same time you were. Because have you have you been to the Yeti shop in Austin? Oh, did we lose you? Paris, I, was at, I was in Austin the other day, and we were we were there looking at. Uh, yeah, yeah, I can hear you now. Sorry, it was a, it was a pelican that flew too close. And <laughs> uh, I I was literally on the street. I saw the Yeti flagship store. Wanted to make it there, got tied up, and, and never made it back. But we were we were talking about with the Halibos guys that Yeti store, and I've seen pictures of it. It's 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 hard to walk it, from the pictures I've seen. It'd be hard to walk out of there without without something like a Yeti yeah. tattoo on your arm. Right. I mean, it's it's amazing. I mean, look, here we are talking about it, right? We're basically evangelizing the brand, which is exactly what they want us to be doing with an experience like that. Uh, but you you go you walk up to the Yeti store and the first thing that you're greeted by is a bar, a full service bar that is serving you alcoholic drinks or non-alcoholic drinks and Yeti cups. So that when you walk into the store, you're immediately handed a Yeti cup. You get to see how it handles itself while you're walking through the store. I mean, absolutely genius. It's like, uh, was it REI that has those freezing, like negative 40 degree rooms so you can try on their jackets? It's, it's, that is experiential right there. And then, of course, they have, you know, Austin's big on live music. They've got a stage in the middle of the room with these amazing local artists just always playing and so it's it's this whole thing when you go to the yeti store yeah it's it's almost impossible to walk out of there without buying anything it's so cool well it goes back to the the same thing that you're trying to create with your mixed use development you know you're building you're building your ecosystem and they do it through lifestyle i mean if you let's say that you hate yeti you think it's like a poser brand you don't you're rocking the cup but let's say that you do but if you uh, if you get their literature right, like their their catalogs are artwork. I mean, they're extremely well done, right? And and so it's hard to it's hard to not want to be on a fly fishing trip with your Yeti cooler and your dope ass Land Cruiser that's all tricked out with the Yeti strapped to the back of it. I mean, it's if you're if you're a dude and you're looking at that stuff. And, and you don't, and you don't want to uh, kind of weekend warrior it with with your Yeti gear on your on your side by side. It's you know, it's I don't know what to tell you because it's it's pretty effective. Well, that's it, man. I mean, that's that is the key to outstanding retail, right? It's like how how much can you romanticize and sell a story and sell a lifestyle, and by bringing people into that lifestyle is the best way to sell it to them because they feel like they're a part of it. And so that's that's what I love about retail. It, it's a out of all the different kinds of commercial real estate out there, there's there really is a very specific science to it. 
mean, of course, like, look, industrial, yeah, you've got to have proximity to interstates. you got to be able to, you know, get trucks it's in. It's commodity, and though. Yeah, it's exactly. Commodity. Like, retail is the only, even office space. Like, there's office developers that do things, you know, they, they build a better mousetrap, right? I won't say right. that, but it still can be a commoditized business. Retail is the only thing that is, that is this level of nuance to it. And it's uh, all my office friends are like, why do you do this, man? Like, you know, <laughs> you just need to come to office. We can talk about ceiling tiles and, and yeah. all day. And it's yeah, you really just got to count the ceiling tiles, not, you know. Not brain damage. Like, why do you do this yourself? But the people <laughs> that I meet in the world are just, it's awesome. I've got, I love the community. I love the people I get to, I get to do deals with. And, man, they work their asses off. And uh, it's it's so much fun to just see your know, retail or a restaurant uh, shop open after you saw the blood sweat tears go into it. It's a lot of fun. I wouldn't change it. I, I love the community. Yeah. I mean, I, I love working with entrepreneurs. I mean, that's kind of where we've always focused in our business. Uh, so, you know, we do office retail industrial. It doesn't really matter. Focus on a side of town, but uh, look, retail is by far the most fun thing that we get to do because you know, what you're doing has a direct impact on the neighborhood, right? Like if I put, I'm going to pick on myself because I don't want to pick on anybody's business, but like if I put a commercial real estate office in the middle of East Nashville, no one cares. Nobody cares. No one cares. Nobody cares. No one cares. If I Nobody open cares. up, if I open up a Yeti store in East Nashville, everybody's going to be like, that's so cool. They're, they so brought Yeti to East Nashville. Yeah. And donuts next door. We've got donuts <laughs> and we've got Yeti. Tyler's a hero. Yeah. Absolutely. It's the truth, man. Like I it's I love it, man. I drive through these neighborhoods and I'm like, hey, you know, I did a tiny, tiny little part of of, of kind of setting the tone for this neighborhood. Uh, and obviously I'm nothing without the entrepreneurs that are actually, you know, sucking it up and doing the deals. Those guys are the are the ones that, that deserve the praise, but it's really fun to specialize in that and do a small part. Absolutely. Yeah. You get to play. You get to play Yoda in the journey, right? Like you, I will show you the way. <laughs> I'm gonna use that. That's gonna be my new business card. I'm gonna be retail Yoda. Uh, <laughs> the retail that, that actually Yoda. might be. I might change the name of my podcast. Honestly, I'll probably get go. sued in five seconds. Yeah, redeveloped. You will be. <laughs> we can go for a while on this, man. We, we, yeah. we can really wear this out. I, it's terrible. I'm embarrassed that I even just said that. Um, <laughs> Let's, show, let's jump in. That's right. It's my show. We'll do whatever I want. Uh, let's jump into the comments because they've been blowing up here. Um, Lex is saying, in, in all caps, I love this. This is good. Uh, awesome. Well, Lex, glad we're uh, we're bringing value to you. This has been a great conversation with Adam so far. Um, Equitree is asking for your handles, Adam. Uh, I mean, obviously, we've got retail redeveloped on on Apple iTunes, but what else do you have? Uh, Adam Williams CRE. Uh, I've got a pretty big digital footprint, so just Google Adam Williams Commercial Real Estate, Adam Williams Charlotte, uh, Instagram Adam Williams CRE, Retail Redeveloped on you know, Spotify, everywhere you get anywhere you can get a pod, podcast, you can find Retail Redeveloped. Uh, LinkedIn, LinkedIn, I actually love LinkedIn. Uh, a lot of people make fun of me because I love LinkedIn, but uh, I really like it. And again, if anybody has any questions on on retail, uh, I even if it's has nothing to do with me, nothing to do with me making a buck. I mean, even if you have questions on, you know, how to how to get started, we're 
really work behind restaurants, like the, the mechanical, electrical, plumbing stuff. I'm happy to happy to either point you in the right direction with good architects and GCs, or add value if I can. But honestly, I, mean, I look to I look to Tyler as being a being a really strong influencer in this space. I mean, I didn't I didn't know you until you reached out to me the first time first time we chatted. But I I really love to watch kind of what you've done and uh, how you how you kind of set the tone and differentiate yourself. Man, it's a lot of fun. So so keep uh, keep rocking. Yeah, well, thanks, man. It's a it's a fun industry. Um, we've got a few more. This one's from Conan. What are your thoughts on REIT investing? So I would imagine, obviously, specifically retail REIT investing. Uh, how do you feel about that? Uh, that's a, that's a tough one because uh, saying REIT investing, it, it could that could be so broad. You know, there's great REITs and there's there's shitty REITs. I think that yeah, uh, something that that would interest me is being able to grab and it's really hard to do like, like I play in sexy markets right like Nashville Charlotte Raleigh uh, Atlanta places like that there, there's just not as and, and not even in that I play in the kind of the urban core so the you know the, the retail apocalypse where everybody thinks there's you know, empty storefronts everywhere like there are in you know some cities it's just it just hasn't happened in the markets that I play in so but I, I think that uh, value add retail REITs that are going in and kind of re-monetizing these centers that are that are dead. Uh, one thing to think about, like if you're looking at a, at a struggling mall, the one thing they do have is just oceans of asphalt that are begging to be redeveloped. So I, I think that uh, while I, I, I'm not smart enough to give you blanket advice on REIT investing, um, I do think that there'll be some really interesting redevelopment opportunities for, for some of these larger assets. I agree. There was one that was done in Nashville, one Bellevue place. It was an old mall that had just fallen off. It was one of the biggest redevelopments that's ever happened in Nashville. And now it's a thriving shopping center, mixed use. Uh, I mean, mixed use is the future, in my opinion. People want community. They want to be able to walk out their front door and walk their dog down to the local bar. Right. Like that's that's just oh, the yeah. lifestyle that people want. Why wouldn't you? Uh, yeah. I, I agree, and I think that I think that we're going to see a lot more than that. We, we were over retailed, and you know, I, I would not want to put my money in B minus and below malls, maybe even D and below malls, because those those guys are going to get hammered. Um, but you know, th- those redevelopment opportunities can be really, really interesting, just because they have huge amounts of land and they were built with specific densities in mind. So there are humans that, that live close by. Uh, so that, that could be interesting. Yeah, exactly. I mean, my take on on REITs in general, like if you're if you're investing in stocks and bonds and that's your portfolio, then I would say absolutely diversify with REITs because you can often achieve better returns if you're investing in the right REIT historically uh, than you would in stocks and bonds. If you're interested in investing in actual deals, then REITs are not really the thing for you. Um, if you don't have enough money to go buy your own, look for a syndicator, right? Like we bring people into our deals for $25,000 minimum sometimes. So, you know, that's really the best way to get hands-on in some of these deals. Uh, you won't really get that experience from a REIT. And that, honestly, that's one of the reasons why a lot of people invest in real estate. Like they kind of want that hands-on experience. And there are more benefits that you'll get out of actually being an investor in a real deal than you would in a REIT. But you'll also get more benefits being in a REIT than you would in stocks and bonds, in my opinion. 
But of course, I'm not your attorney. I'm not your CPA. I'm not giving you legal or financial advice. I'm not commenting. <laughs> I'm not, that's all you, Tyler. I'm not yeah. telling people how to spend their time. Exactly. Like, uh, exactly. But, but to your point, I, I, I do the same thing. If, if, if I'm not doing my own deal, you know, I, I like to find really good sponsors in town that are super plugged in. Uh, yeah, I've done the same thing. I've, I've invested, uh, you know, not small amounts of money, but but not you know break the bank amounts of money in, in other deals that I that I value, and I do that sooner than I would do a REIT just because the structure is a lot leaner. I know the people, so that, yeah. that's, that's and I like to invest in my own deals, so that's uh, that's what I like to do. But but REITs, I mean, people have made a lot of money in REITs also. Yeah. Yeah, I mean you can do you can do very well. I mean, look, you can do well in stocks and bonds, right? So like it, you could do well. Just make sure you do research and understand what you're getting into. We've got a two part one from Danielle. So I've heard a lot of developers say they only build typical boring retail mini malls with no soul because they can only get financing on credit tenants. That's painfully true. That's a great question, Danielle. Can you that, speak? Uh, Danielle, you, here, hold on. Oh, she's got a second. Yeah, sorry. yeah. Uh, can you speak about this issue in relation to creative developments like the wash, which is that that's the car wash project that I've got going on that I told you we converted five bays to micro restaurants, the sixth one to a bar, uh, where you're focusing on small local minority and women-owned businesses or Camp North in Charlotte. Will you, will you tell us about Camp North? I don't know anything about that. Hit me, with, hit me with your comments. Uh, reach out to me. It sounds like you know enough of the dangers about Charlotte. So that's a great, great question. Yeah. That's actually kind of a high-level uh, retail question, if you think. Tell them that you can either be rich or you can be cool. It's really, really hard to get <laughs> uh, Yeah. And the, the, way, the way that we generally try to do that, so if, if I want to – Take a, let, let's say that it's twenty thousand or thirty thousand square feet, right? Uh, you, you're gonna take a risk on the cool tenant, right? The guy that came out of the food truck, the guy that sells the best dumplings in Charlotte or, or Nashville, the guy that you know has you know, this wood fired pizza oven that he built in his garage that you just think is gonna kick ass. So you take a risk on that guy, but a lot of times, if you're if you're not loaded and you've got a you've got a bank to answer to you got to do the medical office deal on the other end cap to kind of balance those two things. So um, I do think that the soulless uh, retail comment that you mentioned is a little outdated. Um, don't get me wrong. If I was going to do a, a strip mall in the suburbs and I had Verizon, you know, Starbucks and, you know, pick, pick another who's who retailer, I would do that deal all day because I'm going to sell it at a, crazy cap rate on the exit but yeah. that's a little different than, than doing something with 30,000 square feet with a little bit of size to it because you need that cool factor to attract other tenants so you take a risk on the front end with the cool guy you balance it out with the with the medical office guy that's got that's got good credit um camp north end is a little different because it's an institutional uh ownership group that is able to play the long game. It's a crazy story. It's called Camp North End. It's in a pioneering part of Charlotte. It was done by a group called Atco out of Manhattan. Insane story. The guy, the patriarch of the Atco family started, uh, you know, fresh off the boat, immigrant, um, started 
like cleaning towels in a tool and machine shop, I'm close. I'm really close in that story. <laughs> uh, and then started a, a company around cleaning other people's rags in the tool shop and now owns skyscrapers <laughs> in Manhattan. Freaking crazy. Uh, That's and amazing. so uh, it, it's, it's unbelievable. <clears throat> so they parlayed that into massive real estate holdings in Manhattan and uh, are doing the same thing in Charlotte. So they were able to, they, they really focused on makers and really cool uh, users to kind of set the tone so they can go out and get cool office people to come in and, and kind of populate and underwrite the, the whole project. But uh, they're smart the way they're doing it. They, they're taking a kind of a generational view over into the Wall Street. Like, I've, I've got a good return next next five minutes or next quarter. So a uh, really good question, then. Danielle, good looking out. Yeah, I, I think it really, I think it also depends on what kind of developer or what kind of investor you are, right? Because there are, if you're a fee developer where you're not planning, you don't want to hold anything, you immediately want to sell it, then you're going to go for those, the corporate tenants that are going to get you the highest bang for your buck because you don't care, right? Like you're right. just in there to get the best cap rate possible, get out, move on. You know, we kind of take a, a conscientious approach to the developments that we do because, you know, I spend 99% of my time. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it, right? Like I'm developing in my neighborhood. I want to build a better place for, for me and, and my friends for us to all live in and for anybody else that lives there in the future. And, and I think that, you know, putting these cool, unique businesses in there helps maintain whatever culture that is, um, which keeps it a, an attractive neighborhood. So you know, we actually made the conscientious conscientious decision. Gosh, that is, I after I've been talking for an hour, I just can't speak English anymore. The conscientious decision to not take anybody that had multiple locations in that project. We wanted startup uh, or or close to it. There were there's one that had another location for a different concept, and one that had another location like 30 minutes outside of town. Right. So those are clearly startup, still startup businesses for the area. And to us, that really fit the mold of what we're doing. We're going to do the same thing at the provisionary. It's just kind of my own investment thesis. That being said, I, I don't share, most developers do not share that same sentiment with me because they're here to make money on the projects and that's how they're looking at it. I'm here to make money too, but I also live here. So I want to be a little more conscientious of what I'm doing. I don't know how many more times I can say that that word <laughs> in five you know minutes, it. but there you go. <laughs> uh, yeah. So this has been fun, man. I, I really appreciate being able to come on the show and, and yeah. retail and real estate in general. <clears throat> Absolutely, man. It's Thanks for coming on. Um, go ahead and plug your handles again real quick uh, for anybody that didn't write them down the first time and uh, let us know where we can get a hold of you. Uh, Adam Williams, Retail Redeveloped, Adam Williams CRE on Instagram. Uh, again, Adam Williams Charlotte, I'm easy to find and really appreciate. Always so much fun to talk uh, about commercial real estate. Obviously, it's what I do. It's how, how I pay the bills, but it's a passion too. And and, and I don't know anybody else um, more passionate than Tyler. And I love pushing the boundaries on on how you're doing on marketing and, and um, just sharing information and giving people content. Uh, and this is a really smart thing for people to think about. You know, Tyler's not saying it, but, he, but he's playing the long game. He didn't have his hand out. He's not out.
is that his added value comes back eventually. That's that's the way I've tried to try to frame my whole career, and uh, and it's really smart, man. So keep it up, keep kicking ass in East Nash uh, in East Nashville, and and I can't wait to come up there and drink beer with you over in East Nashville, see the new project. Yeah, man, you got to get out here and do it. Let me know uh, when we can make that happen. But Adam, thanks for coming on the show. What an awesome conversation on retail. Uh, guys, if you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to like and subscribe. If you're listening on the podcast, please leave us a rating or review. And uh, Adam, enjoy the beach, man. We're jealous. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate it. I'll give you, I'll give you one line.